0: I'm Bianca, and I'm Gen Z. I'm Molly, a millennial.
1: I am Arnisha, Generation X.
0: And I'm Micah, the boomer. We,
1: we are, are Day Talk. Talk. Four women, four generations, and four unique points of view. Listeners, it's Dame Nisha here. Uh, We are actually kicking off our healthcare series today. um, And we're kicking it off with a woman that was my supervisor when I was a contact tracer. I had shared that I was a contact tracer a few months ago, and this woman was my supervisor. And what I always really liked about her is that she had a fantastic management style. She was transparent, she was honest, she was open-minded, she advocated for her team. If she knew that some of the requests that were coming down were just Unreasonable, she'd fight for us. Um, she was kind, she was knowledgeable, and she was also really, really funny. Um, and as we went, uh, as we would talk daily uh, as, as, a, as a contact tracer, I found out that her background, she shared, started sharing some of her background with us. And she has an amazing background um, in, in, in the medical field, primarily uh, in, in, in nursing. So when we talked about this series, I said, I got to ask Gail. Her name is Gail Rossolo. She has so many letters behind her name. I I have her her bio that I want to read some of it. But when I think about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to box this up. Because literally she has at least eight or nine certifications behind her name. So she is the truth. (laughs) Um, She is now the director of Travel Well of Westchester, which is a private clinical and consulting travel health practice. She is an adult nurse practitioner specializing in travel health and certified in occupational health. She's a founding member and past president of the American Travel Health Nurses Association. She's been active in the International Society of Travel Medicine since its founding. She was the recipient, the second recipient of the ISTM Distinguished Nurse Leadership Award in 2017. She's authored sections in the CDC Health Information for International Travel and chapters in the Keystone and Young Travel Medicine texts. She consults often for the CDC, their travel health branch, and has taught courses for the CIA, (laughs) the Smithsonian, the Canadian government and numerous corporations and, and US universities. I mean, she is just such an impressive, impressive woman on paper. And when you meet her, you can't help but fall in love with her because all of these things, you would expect her to act a certain way And she's the exact opposite of what you'd expect. I would have expected her to be stuffy and unapproachable. And you know, she's very, very intelligent just when you speak with her once. But usually when you interact with people, particularly in the medicine, um, within the medical industry, they can oftentimes feel kind of standoffish and unapproachable. Well, Gail was never, ever, ever that. So I am just so happy to welcome Gail Rossolo
2: to Dame Talk today. Gail, welcome. Thank you, Anisha, And uh, I was overjoyed to get your invitation. It has been wonderful to work with you with contact tracing. So I wasn't surprised that you had other dimensions to your life um, as well. And um, I'm happy to talk about my career. It's been a very, very fulfilling one. So, you know, however you want to get started with the questions, um, I'm here to answer any questions that you might have.
1: Okay, well, I'll just jump off and ask, why did you first choose to go into healthcare and especially
2: nursing? Well, actually, you know, I think this speaks to the larger issue of mentoring. And um, I graduated with um, a degree in American Studies from Dickinson College, a liberal arts small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. Came to New York, um, went to the New York State uh, Employment Office and said, I want to help people. And uh, later that afternoon, I was hired to work as a social worker for Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens. And I worked with them for about five years. Um, It was very satisfying initially, but after a while, I became frustrated because there's a lot of things that really need systemic change in our society. And a social worker can only do so much as an individual. Um, One of my responsibilities was to work with teenage girls. Um, Either they were assigned by the courts or they were part of a community center. And they saw my growing dissatisfaction with my role. I had encouraged many of them to go to nursing school. And one evening, they came over to my apartment. And I guess you could call it an intervention, because they sat down and they said, Gail, we know you probably never thought about this, but you should become a nurse. And that evening changed my life. Arneesha. It changed my life. I hadn't thought of nursing. I think I had the same stereotype that many, many people still hold around the world of, you know, this woman in white with a cap who's standing by the bedside and, you know, taking directions from a physician and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I was afraid that I maybe couldn't stand the sight of blood or didn't have the stamina. So I I volunteered for a year at Bellevue, um, saw everything, imaginable. Um, and then I was very fortunate because at the time, both Columbia and Cornell had what's called post baccalaureate baccalaureate programs. And I went to Cornell for two years and graduated as a nurse and um, started a career that has been absolutely a blessing, absolutely a blessing. And I thank Mary and Mary and Patty and Joanne for having come to my apartment and said, you really, you should, you should change your life, Gail. And it did. And it did.
1: And those were the teens you were working with. That those
2: were the teens. Exactly. And so the, the thing that about mentoring is I think mentors can come from every direction in your life. In this case, they were 19 and 20 year old girls. Um, later on, I had mentors in at Cornell. I had a wonderful teacher that in, um, encouraged me to work abroad. Um, I've had my husband has been a mentor. My colleagues have been a mentor. Um, I think you can find them in so many different directions. But yes, those girls mentored me into a career that has been um, so rewarding. Absolutely.
0: That's so awesome to hear, Gail. And I think so in line with what we've talked about a lot here on Dame Talk. We've talked a lot about mentoring. Um, Arnisha and Micah are both uh, very not that anyone would be anti-mentoring, but they're very pro-mentoring. Um, And so they've been really, really driving home that message. So it's great to hear it just, again, reiterated. And I think one of the things we've been talking about recently is that exactly what you just said, that mentoring can come from all different directions. So it's not necessarily somebody who's older than you or somebody who is, you know, quote unquote, more experienced, but right. from those different directions. So I love that idea of being, being open to that and how that.
2: And, and I think it I think it also speaks to the fact that all of us have that capacity to to share something that we value or we're passionate about or meaningful with someone else we don't necessarily have to call it mentoring we don't have to take a course in mentoring it's rather is there something that i can share with someone that can help them at this time they helped me they helped me deal with a very real um frustration and, look how it happened. The other piece I want to say is that when I went for my interview at Cornell, um, I sat down and three faculty members were interviewing me. And um, their very first question was, um, you know, Gail, you'll be 30 when you graduate from nursing school. And it kind of caught me off guard. And then I stopped and I thought and I said, well, I'm going to be 30 anyway. I might as well be doing something I love. And I think that's another piece about my life. Um, You could call me a a late bloomer. I became a nurse at 30. I actually married at 43. Um, I adopted my daughter at 50. And um, so I don't think there's any decade of our lives as women that we can't do something that's meaningful and important to us. And, you know, when I hear... Um, individuals um, who say, well, you know, I'm, I'm retired or I'm this, or I'm that, you know, I just look to my own life, which has meant that I've found new things to do, uh, including contact tracing uh, recently. And um, so I encourage people to always be looking for opportunities to, to, um, you know, widen their experience, uh, follow their passion, do what they love. That's Excellent
1: now earlier you mentioned something about going abroad
2: yes yes well
1: Uh, i'm a big traveler so i would love to hear a little bit about that experience and what led you to
2: do that sure well i had again here's a mentor um during my second year at cornell um dr doris schwartz uh lectured us on gerontology at the time gerontology really wasn't recognized in this country um the the importance of care for seniors was very undervalued She had been working in Scotland for a number of years. And um, my colleague and I, classmate and I went up to her and just said, do you think there's a possibility that we could go over there and do some kind of a nursing program? And she made it possible for us to work with the Greater Glasgow Nursing Board. So two days after I got my nursing, uh, passed my nursing test, I flew to Glasgow and I spent a year there. And um, dressed, I had an outfit that made me look like Florence Nightingale with skirts down to the floor. They would call me Sister Gail. Um, They were in the middle of everything, we would break for tea time, very important. Um, But I had the benefit of being in a place that valued nursing above everything. I had the benefit of being in a country that um, was 30 years ahead of us in terms of care for seniors. Uh, and I had the benefit of seeing the national health, knowing what universal health care can mean when you don't ask the first question, isn't where's your insurance card? And you know, have you got a referral from your doctor? So I had, you know, an opportunity to see things that my classmates, you know, did not. That got me inspired to work abroad. Um, Two, three years later, Cornell called me and said they were going to start a hospital at a refugee camp on the Thai-Cambodian border. And I went over to start the equivalent of the emergency room and I was there for two years. And that's when I worked with the CDC for the first time. um, Was exposed to tropical medicine, travel medicine, saw all these diseases that you read about um, and came back and decided that I wanted to become a nurse practitioner. And um, my first job was at Rutgers, lots of students traveled. So I started doing travel medicine. Then I was asked to start a program for Bristol Myers Squibb for their 25,000 employees and absolutely fell in love with this field. Um, And it's been kind of my specialty for the last 20 years um, and um, as I said, I'm very excited. I was just with two friends who already have cruises planned for next November. I mean, the, the, the will to travel is just out there and um, I can help them do that safely and um, with only you know good memories uh, as opposed to coming home sick or uh, you know, otherwise uh, impaired. So yes, do, do travel, Micah. Absolutely, absolutely, keep it up. <laughs> It's the, it's, it's the best. I mean, I, I got to see the United States from a, a different perspective, my own country, and I got to work with people around the world, and I got to see how my nursing skills could translate anywhere I travel. I, I was able to, to provide um, a service, um, a need, to meet a need, whatever country I found myself in. Yeah.
1: Now, Gail, I'm really curious about this. There's one thing to know that you can meet a need and provide a service. Mm-hmm. There's something else to say, I'm going to start a practice doing that. Right. And that's what you've done. So I'd like to understand what was, what was the, your motivation to say, you know what? Let me create a business doing this. Sure. I'd like to learn more about that because there's, there's clearly something that's different in the mind of an entrepreneur to me because we all have ideas about different things and but there's something different with an entrepreneur that says let's just do it that's that's what Micah is truthfully, she is but it's just there's something there that says let me just step out on a limb I'm going to go for it and let's just do it so I just want to understand your thought process behind opening your practice
2: well a couple of things and again I'm gonna go back to this idea of mentoring but this was actually just a colleague I was at a conference And I said, you know, they're not doing this right. This is not the way we should be doing this. Uh, And Richard turned to me and he said, well then Gail, why don't you do it the right way? And at the time, nurse practitioners did not have private practices. Um, This was a very bold move. I, I have to say that I had fought as part of the New York State Nurses Association to get licensing as an NP, but NPs did not have private practice. Um, I decided that it was important for me to do it the way I thought it should be done. Um, one advantage of nursing is you can work part-time, full-time. You can, you know, I had at this point um, uh, a husband who did support me so that if I didn't financially make it uh, at that phrase, I, I still had a backup. Um, and the I started it. Um, I just started it. I created the papers. I created the design. I just, you know, it was it was a work in progress. However, I have to say that within six months, um, an anonymous complaint was raised with the New York State Professional Licensing Board by some physician in the community. I wasn't told his name. I was just told this happens when nurses try to step out. And for the next six months, all of my records and practice was very closely observed. At the end, they said, Clean bill of health, you know, you just go for it. But it was a lesson in that there can be barriers. And I could have stopped. I mean, it was pretty scary. I, I contacted a lawyer right away and said, You know, what do I need to do? Um, but of course, it's been terrific. And even now, um, I, uh, the last year, people said, Well, people aren't traveling too much. Where are they traveling? They're traveling domestically. So I've been helping people figure out what the state restrictions were for getting into Virginia or coming back to New York. One woman, you know, somebody will listen to this on a podcast. One woman called me and she said she was going to be driving to Colorado. How many sets of depends should she bring with her because she wasn't going to stop at any rest area? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's, it's wonderful that way, you know, you can't anticipate. And, and in nursing, we always say nurses learn from their patients. We learn from our patients every single day. And if you listen to your patients, um, you learn so much. And so Needless to say, that was an interesting mathematical question that I had to answer in terms of uh, what her need might be for supplies along the road. But um, yes, I'm, I'm so excited that I, that I started the practice. It's been wonderful. It led then to a course that I give. I've, I've trained about, you know, I guess, at least 5,000 people in how to do travel health. And part of that came from the practice because people would ask me, well, how did you get started? And what do you do? And then over time, they'd say, well, you know, could you give us a course in this? And so the Westchester course, named for where I live, uh, started. And um, that has been a wonderful opportunity for me. I enjoy teaching very much. And it's been very, very compatible with raising my daughter. It's been very compatible with, uh, you know, how how life can intervene with, you know, full-time work, et cetera, et cetera. Does that, does that answer your question, Anisha? Absolutely, okay. absolutely, it okay. definitely does.
1: Um, I just wanted to also ask you, I think now you mentioned that you have a grant from the CDC. I do, I yes. do. Can yes. you talk about that?
2: Yes, okay, so one of the things I think that happens, um, I've always said that I like to keep opening doors, not closing any doors. So when opportunities present themselves, I I I go right through that door. I want the next opportunity, and so about two years ago, um, the CDC put out a um, a request. They wanted applicants for a fellowship um, um, in the public health field, and um, I turned to one of my colleague friends and I said, you know, I why not? I think I'm going to go for this. Now I have to tell you that I have been teaching travel medicine to the travel medicine branch (laughs) at CDC for a number of years. The first time they called me, I actually called them back and I said, wait a minute, you want me to teach you travel medicine, and they said, well, we're kind of like the elephant, Gail. We have the specialist who, you know, knows yellow fever, that's the trunk, and the one that knows schistosomiasis, that's the tail, and the one that knows this is the legs, but you know the whole animal, so please come down to Atlanta, so I knew the people that were there. I knew how wonderful it could be to, to be deserving of the award, and I applied, and they selected 14 of us, and so um, I was in the midst of that. I was actually working on a topic called dengue fever. If you've traveled at all, dengue, and unfortunately, it is now you know in Florida and it's in Hawaii. Um, it's present in over a hundred countries around the world. Um, but then COVID came. Needless to say, they decided to put a temporary stop. In fact, we some of us thought it was going to be a permanent stop, but a temporary stop on the fellowship, and then. Just about maybe, I don't know, a week or two before you left, Arnisha, I got a call and they said, Gail, do you think you could, you know, resume the fellowship? But now what we're doing is we're focusing on vaccine acceptance and trying to reduce vaccine hesitancy. So in other words, I'll get back to dengue at some point, but right now the importance is try to address the various concerns in the communities, Many of them very realistic, very justifiable. But how do we convince people that there's a value to considering or to accepting a COVID vaccine when we know it's safe and available? Yeah, and I'm one of those people who's skeptical. So right, and 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 I appreciate you saying that because it's only when someone speaks forward, Micah, and explains their reasons for their hesitancy that we can try to craft um an argument or at least listen to your concerns Um, i'll be frank with you i have been in the field of vaccination for almost 30 years i will not be at the front of any line to get a new vaccine all right i won't Um, but i also will be asking the right questions waiting to see the right answers and looking to see how this vaccine performs and how it is distributed. I'm very excited, quite frankly, that Cuomo is going to have his own task force review the data. Now I have gone to ACIP, this is the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. It's the group that will be looking at this vaccine as soon as the FDA approves it. And they are experts who sit down to decide, is it safe? Is it safe for everybody? Can a pregnant woman take this? Do we need two doses? How, how much time between the doses, a lot of issues, but I'm very happy to hear that that uh, Cuomo will have another group of equally qualified individuals asking those questions because the last thing we need, the last thing we need is to start using a vaccine that causes serious adverse events or doesn't sufficiently work. It will put us way, way behind in this effort to overcome this pandemic a vaccine certainly is the way to go but it's got to be the right vaccine for the right person yeah
1: you know, Aguil, I mentioned earlier when I introduced you that part of what I just appreciated so much when you were um, my supervisor is just your honesty. So for you to just say in your current capacity that you won't be on the first, you know, you won't be at the front of the line for any vaccine uh, is just a testament to, um, to to what I was saying about your honesty. And I'm in the same place as Micah. And mine comes from the fact that, you know, I'm an African-American woman. How many of those, we have... I don't want to say predisposed because that isn't the, the right word but there are absolutely several of the um, the illnesses that, Make COVID work, worse, which I knew this girl when I was a contact tracer. It rolled off my tongue, but right now I can't think of the word. <laughs> <laughs> you will know it, but we we as um as as a race we have a lot of those um illnesses, right? And comorbidities,
2: so- pre existing conditions. That's it. Right.
1: it. Pre existing right. conditions, comorbidities, right. and have those tests, have the immunization, has have, have those clinical trials been on people of color, people African American right. that have those um comorbidities and what were the results with them were there was it the same those the things that would be important to me by the time I say okay I'm willing I'm willing to take a, a COVID vaccination
2: you're absolutely right. And I think that um, it applies. Uh, it ac- actually, it applies to many, many citizens because there's a lot of individuals who are immunocompromised. There's a lot of individuals who are taking certain medications. Historically, I've been involved in a lot of vaccine clinical trials. And historically, we eliminated all of those volunteers. We wanted individuals who were completely healthy, under the age of 60, so they didn't have lots of comorbidities or or various medications. We wanted someone just to take it and prove that it worked and give it out. Well, as a result, as a result, we have lots of vaccines. We don't know if they work for an 80-year-old we don't know if their duration of protection is anywhere near what it would be for a 30-year-old. And so your hesitancy, your questions are absolutely um, uh, reasonable, and they have to be addressed. They have to be addressed before we can um, expect full acceptance of any vaccine. and. one of the things that I know is that this CDC um, fellowship, that's part of our goal. It's to not just look at general a general message, but rather to look at segments of the population and say, you know, for example, I have young women and they're, they're asking me, they're saying, well, these are RNA vaccines. We've never had an RNA vaccine. Is that going to affect my ability to create a child Ten years from now, twenty years from now, what what do we know about um, uh, you know fertility and and these drugs? They're brand new. Um, I don't want to raise concerns that are already out there, but I do want to say that I think there's a whole group of people that know that actually producing the vaccine was the easy part. Gaining acceptance and being sure that it is safe across the population is actually the harder part. And that's, that's the phase that we're in now. And that's where I hope I can make you know some inroads in terms of asking the right questions and then trying to um, craft answers to address those concerns. Um, you know, nurses nurses have a, a wonderful intimate relationship with patients. Um, it's it's one of the blessings of the profession, and a lot of people will share with me what they might not share with even their physician. They'll say, "Well, you know, I, I don't want to." you know, it's a stupid question. No, it's not. You know, how is this going to affect this? Or how is that going to affect this? And that's what we need to hear because it's only when we can address the real concerns of the population that we can both decide if the vaccine is appropriate and if it is then to make people feel comfortable taking it. So, you know, ask the questions. And if you have a chance in the in coming months to, um, you know, raise these concerns and ask these questions, please, please do, because you're not alone. A lot of people have the same concerns. Uh, They're just, you know, keeping them kind of to themselves. Um, and there's no way that we can, uh, you know, address them. The other good news is there's lots of vaccines out there. You've only heard about two or three so far. There's like 150 that are under development. So one vaccine that may not work for somebody over 50 might be terrific for somebody 80. And one vaccine that could never work for a woman who is pregnant might work just for her. So, um, I think it's just like with flu shots, you know, if you have an egg allergy, now there's a flu shot that works against that. And if you're older, there's a flu shot that's meant for that. Um, there's an understanding that not one size fits all.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Gail, I feel like I have to, I got to ask a question then here. So I, um, I, I think I was less on the skeptical part but more on the I knew I wasn't going to be first in line anyway because mm-hmm. first it's going to go to people who are high risk and then it's going to go to different groups and so it was going to be a long time before me as a relatively youngish uh, mm-hmm. sure. otherwise healthy person was going to get it and so but now I'm hearing you um, and, and I had my own reservations you know, somewhat related to the politics around it and all of that. But so I'm wondering if you have any advice for, for us and maybe for our listeners on like, what should we be looking for if we do have hesitations or we do, you know, you were talking about these different studies that will, you know, hopefully continue to be done. What should we as individuals be looking for to kind of make that assessment for ourselves on if this is the, you know, feels like the Safer, right? T- like, how do we assess the, the information that's out there? Well, you know, at this moment, I am
2: going to be rather political, but I'm going to say that hopefully after January 20th, we will only be sharing truth. We will only be sharing facts. And the fact of the matter is, if someone who has spent their life, like a Dr. Fauci, committed to this, comes up and says, I've seen the data. I have reviewed data for 30 years of my life. This is as strong as you can expect. I'm taking it myself. I'm giving it to my wife and my grandchildren. Um, I encourage you to give it good consideration. We have been plagued with a lack of of transparency, a lack of truthfulness. We have been plagued with you know realistic concerns that there were profit motives and there were alternative reasons for for pushing certain efforts and we have been faced with things like you know injecting bleach for god's sake so it it's understandable and and i don't think any reasonable citizen um should have not have any doubts of course you should the whole way this has been handled has been just terrible I think going forward, we have a chance for it to be handled a lot better. And you will start to see, and you know, the good news is it will be going to healthcare workers, it will be going to the most vulnerable. And very quickly, very quickly, we will start to see if there's any issues being raised. When I give a new vaccine, and over the years, I have given many, many vaccines that were brand new. I I used to call it, stage four clinical trial. Now, there isn't such a thing. There's a stage one, two, and three. But stage four is when it's out there in the public. And after a number of individuals in the public have received it, you have a very good basis, a foundation for saying, they gave it to 10,000 people. They gave it to 100,000 people. In this case, they're going to be giving it to millions of people. Um, That's the best evidence that it's going to be safe for you.
0: Does that help? That helps a lot yeah very very helpful and agreed hopefully in a in just two months we will have a, <laughs> a very yeah. different uh understanding and climate around all of this i so. i
2: i think we will look back on this and go i can't believe the changes that have happened in just two months time you're absolutely right i yesterday i was driving up the uh, the taconic and i actually saw these Tent like structures being put up in a a large parking lot of one of the the state parks and I went "Gee, is this for testing and I said, I don't think so. So I stopped by and the tent guy that was putting them up, you know, the big authority, but I said, What is this, he says, Oh, this is going to be where the army is going to start giving vaccine. Oh wow. they were already setting up a structure so that as soon as the vaccine can get shipped, people could pull in, go to these tents, they would be met, you know, and they're set up so it could be during the winter, et cetera, you know. So yeah, I think I think there's truly, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. Um, 2021 is a reason to be very, very hopeful. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I also would love, wanna jump in and just say that I, I'm gonna echo what Arneesha said and and thank you for, your honesty, because I, I think that there's so much circulating out there, especially, um, on the internet, especially with people my age. I know I live with someone who she was just this morning telling me how she was concerned about, you know, she wants to, she knows she wants to have babies in the future. She's my age. She's in her early twenties. And she's like, there are plenty of vaccines, plenty of medicines that people have taken that have, um, caused issues for, you know, have women, especially in, in the past. So, um, it is really nice to hear from such a clear voice and hear you stay, um, you know, very factual and very, um, I don't know, very aware of what people might be concerned about. So I thank you for that.
2: Well, you're you're most welcome. And keep asking the questions because um, nobody should take anything that they don't feel comfortable taking. Um, and, and there will be pressure. There will be pressure to take it, okay? I mean, you'll start to see people taking it. Uh, but when it's right, um, um, it'll be there for you. And, and hopefully there'll be one that's just perfect for a woman your age who who wants to be sure that the... the you know, when, when um, the polio vaccine came out, there were lines in places like Central Park, round the clock, 24-7 for days, because polio was such a devastating devastating uh, disease, particularly for children. Um, Mm -hmm. I imagine we're going to see see that again um, when acceptance grows for this vaccine, but um, it's perfectly okay to be towards the end of that line. Um, As long as you're doing social, I see your mask, so you're doing social distancing and you're using your mask, you're doing everything that you need to do at this (laughs) point. And um, I do believe, I do believe that within a couple of months, um, we'll all be looking at this in a very different way. Thank goodness. Thank goodness.
1: Well, Gail, we want to be respectful of your time. um, And we're so grateful for you just spending time with us today and being so honest. I do want to ask one more question if it's okay. Sure. We are a, a podcast for women of different, of all ages, of all generations. So mm-hmm. if you have any advice for different generations, we'd love it
2: if you could share it with us. All right. Well, first of all, I think anybody up to age, no, of any age should, should consider nursing. I absolutely do. Um, it's now a big second career. For lots of people, a lot of people are are seeing that this is a great second career, and there's lots of programs at community colleges and and uh, baccalaureates to make up courses if you if you needed them. So I'm um, a big plug for nursing, absolutely, um, but also a big plug for mentoring. That at every age we can share with others, and um, you know, and talk about a business. You can actually start a business doing that. There's no question about it. Recently, I've decided that I'm not really very 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 good with financial planning. And I've been reaching out to women who are now, you know, going into that field or have been in that field and saying, you know, specifically, I'd like to work with a woman around how should I be looking at. You know, retirement funds and plans for my daughter, etc. Um, I think at every age there are so many opportunities, and you should never ever allow anybody to put a barrier. Remember, they asked me; they said you're going to be thirty, Gail, when you become a nurse, as if that somehow should have stopped me. And instead, it just energized me and made me realize, okay, so I'm thirty, but let me let me go forward. Um, I I think. The sky's the limit. I do. Today, you know, we are living longer. We're living healthier. Uh, there's lots of opportunities to have quality of life. Um, um, I'll close with just saying, you know, Micah, keep traveling. I had a patient uh, very early in my career, 93-year-old gentleman. He was going to go solo kayaking down a uh, tributary of the Amazon. Oh, six wow. weeks. Six weeks. He made it. He did it. I helped him do it. It was satisfying for me. And uh, you know, he went to Antarctica three years after that. So you know, there's no age limit for any anything wow. that you set your mind to it, for sure.
1: Oh, I love that! I love that! I love that, Gail. You have been awesome. I mean, there's so many things. I was taking notes while you were talking. There were so many things that you said that I just wanted to just repeat before we before we wrap up. First of all, you talked about mentoring. we all of us, collectively are just super passionate about it. Um, and to have you come on and then talk about it all throughout was just. I think it's just amazing. I loved when you said there's no decade in our lives where we can't do something that we love. That really resonated with me as well. Um, For what is to me very apparent in your life and your journey is that you've always been open to doing new things. Not only just being open to them, but doing it. You know, there's a difference to, okay, yeah, I'm open, but then to step forward on a limb and say, I'm doing it. You've always done that. The other thing you talked about was fighting for doing the things the right way, even when there are barriers. Um, And and again, Mm -hmm. that's something that I think for women in particular, uh, depending on how we were raised, the environment that we're in, we're not always um, in a position where we feel comfortable fighting for doing things the right way. We oftentimes let our voices be silenced to some extent. Yes. So I love the fact that you said fight for doing things the right way. You know, I, I I love that. I really, really did. Um then you talked about keep opening doors. You said keep opening doors, go right through them. You want the opportunity. That's another thing that's very, very, very in line with what we talk to women about on Dame Talk. And finally you said never allow anyone to put up a barrier. So I've been taking notes because you said so many great things. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I recapped, you know, recapped the ones that really stuck out to me. So I just want to thank you so much for being willing to come on to Dame Talk and to share with our audience. I know we all, all of the Dames, we all got something great out of this. I don't know if you if you dames have anything more you want to contribute before we, we let Gail, we let Gail go. Just to say thank you, and you definitely are an inspiration and just continue to do what you're doing. We need you. Oh, my God, that's very kind. That's very kind. <laughs> that's right. All right, Gail, thank you so much. We you're saw... most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and don't be surprised if we tap into you again, okay? Oh, please, please don't hesitate. You take care now. All, <laughs> All right. right. Thank you, Gail. Goodbye, dames.
2: Bye. Goodbye, Dave Goodbye. Okay.
1: If you have any questions, email us at Dametalk4 at gmail.com. That's Dametalk and the number four at gmail. To learn more about us and these topics, check out our website at Dametalkpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This is Dametalk. We don't know everything, but we know enough.